Our text, our text uh, this morning is in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And um, Dave read it this morning before, after he did the announcements. But that's our text. If you're a Bible, you can turn there. I'm not going to read it again, but I'll be referencing that. And um, we all know it's Palm Sunday, right? We celebrate that on our calendar. But when I look at the Scripture before us, it makes me ask why there are not more amens and hallelujahs in the midst of our worship and in the midst of our daily life. That's not, I'm not here to guilt you. I'm just I'm talking to myself too. Why not? Why not? Why is it that it, it's, it, there isn't more praise and, and hallelujahs and expressions of these, 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 these declarations that we just make to the Lord of how, how great, how awesome, how powerful, how glorious He is, and that we should be praising Him all the time. Think about the events that we're, we're celebrating, remembering today, and we read in our scripture and in the text even before that. But Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. Historically, he's on the way to Jerusalem. And he pauses at Bethany, and through his actions, all those symbolic actions, the crowd of disciples believe that he is going to ride into Jerusalem as the long-awaited Messiah and rip them out of the grips of the Roman Empire. A lot of them had that, that thought, right? Some were waiting, and they were, they were anticipating, but here's what he does. In fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 in the Old Testament, Hundreds of years ago, he fulfills the prophecy and he sends for a donkey and he rides it down on the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem while the disciples shout praises and lay their coats and branches on the path. Rejoice greatly, in Zechariah 9.9 it says, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of... Now here's language again that I always get confused about because I, I see it in the Word of God, but so often I don't see it in reality in our own lives and in our midst. Look what it says. It says, rejoice greatly. Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. Jesus came for me. The crowds were praising Him. All of heaven is still praising Him. We're with God's people who are redeemed. Praise God. It's so good. It's exciting to be here this morning. I'm happy to be with you guys. I'm so happy to see you. And uh, well, hallelujah. Praise God. Right? Yeah, I will, I will solicit a response because it's fitting and it's right. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Hosanna to God in the highest, to Jesus in the highest. Amen. And he says, rejoice with daughter. And it says, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. God hears and he knows my heart. He knows my reverent thoughts. They're so pure and so righteously directed to Him. I've given Him all the glory and the attention and focus. Look, I'm not here to mock you for doing that because you should do that. But it says here, shout! The word means shout! Thank you! That's what it means, right? And it's a prophetic word and it came to be when Jesus was approaching Jerusalem. And it says, Shout, behold, your king comes unto you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so, 
the excited followers shouted hosannas. And that hosanna, that expression, everything that's going on there is another reference. And what they're doing is what's already been stated in Psalm 118. You can read it there toward the latter portion of Psalm 118, where almost the identical words are there, that that Savior is coming. Save us now, our God. And all the praise and honor and worship is given him there in Psalm 118. And then they cut down branches and they fling them out into the road and they make a royal path for the king. Look, our praise to the Lord should be ongoing. We've, we've been talking about this over the years and on and off and more recently maybe, but our praise needs to be ongoing and it needs to be unceasing just like our prayers. We need to be magnifying and praising the Lord for everything in our lives. Yes, everything in our lives. Everyone in our lives. That's hard to do sometimes, but we should thank God that He teaches us through people. He encourages us through people. He challenges us through people. Thank God for everyone and everything in our lives that God brings to us. He's worthy of praise for all those things. So our praise this morning needs to be ongoing. It needs to be something that we do and we join in the crowd on Palm Sunday and today we should do that. Notice in our text, if you will, first notice that while praise was customary within the temple court, this concert of praise is raised outside the temple. Okay? Now, it doesn't mean this never happened. But listen, there's, there is something here for a lot of these religious leaders and a lot of the Jewish people. The temple courts and the temple itself was where the praise of God happened. And it was ordained that way. It was instructed to be that way. And they had certain places and times. We understand all that. But here, something is happening. Jesus is coming in. The God-man, God incarnate, who came to die for the sins of the world, and he's coming into Jerusalem, and he's not declining or saying, don't give me that praise. Praise is being offered up to him, whether it was rightfully or wrongfully by some or others, we'll get to that in a minute, but outside the church, if you will, praise is going on. Praise is happening. They're coming down the side of the Mount of Olives, they're coming into town by one of the busiest roads there, right? And if you want to call it this, it's almost like it's a secular setting. But then again, for the Christian, in a weird way, whether it's a secular setting as we call it outside the church or outside a a formal gathering of God's people, wherever we are is the context and the place for praise. And ongoing praise. And so it's outside the walls of the church, so to speak. And I don't, listen, it's not, it's, it's the time, it's the time and it's that place, right, where we don't expect to hear that praise with Jesus in this way. And it's almost like coloring, you're, you're, you're smudging the lines of what was right and good praise. Well, wait a minute. Can we ought to do that? Should we do that? It just erupts and happens because Jesus is coming in fulfillment of prophecy and He's Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Right? He comes in. And I realize, when I think about this, for me personally, I realize how, how impoverished I am in the amount of praise or the reserve of praise that I have inside me when I think about how little I praise Him everywhere all the time. I do praise Him. I can say that. But do I praise Him all the time, everywhere? And I'm reminded when I run into somebody at the grocery store and they tell me a testimony and they're like, praise God, all glory to God, and they're loud about it and they don't care. And then I'm reminded, man, I wish. 
I don't wish, I need to be just like that. It's a reminder that we encourage each other and we praise God no matter where we are. I'm not telling you to be crazy and weird. That's not the point. The point is, let it come out of your heart through your lips and don't be ashamed. Just praise God everywhere you are. And this is what's happening without shame among the disciples, the followers of Jesus. And it's amazing. I realize that most of us, myself included, we don't praise God as we should. Either within or outside the walls of the church. And surely, His blessings extend outside these walls. I mean, it's a blessing. We can praise God for just the hum and the the beautiful sound of all the the discussion and fellowship before the sermon. That's something to praise God for. It's joyous and it's filled with love, and, and there's just it, you feel that connection, and you know that God is among us, even in that way, as simple as it seems. It's awesome because it's God filled. It is. You can't duplicate that anywhere else or with any other people, but among God's people, you find that beautiful unity and praise unto the Lord. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm making a leap, but I'm not. I'm just making a connection, actually. That Paul says that you're not restricted to the walls of the church. You're not restricted to a certain place or or a gathering or among X, Y, or Z persons that allow you to praise God. It's wherever you are. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. And so he said something there in verse 20. He says, Therefore, therefore glorify God with your body. Now we know the context. I'm not going to visit the context. But you know what he means there? Use your body to glorify God. End of story. Whether it's your, your hands, your feet, your mind, your brain, how you process things and information around you and you realize, wow, God, you're amazing and I thank you for that information. I can bless you through this or bless somebody this way because of what I know now. All glory to you. I praise you, God. Right? But, but it's, it's realizing that God lives in you and you use that tongue to praise God and to worship Him. It's a powerful tool that He's given us. The strongest, greatest instrument you can take anywhere and use anywhere at any time. Use your tongue to praise God even outside the temple. It's an amazing thing. Listen, this praise of Jesus was outside of the temple. It was out in the streets. But notice second that it was collective praise that was going on. It wasn't just one or two people. It was collective. Luke 19 verse 37 says, The whole multitude lifted their voices in praise. My friends, brothers and sisters, I don't know how to say this but to say it the way it is if God came down and he was I'm being strange here but just for just a visual for you if he came down and he was in an invisible drone he's here right he's invisible but he's a drone and he's just above there and you're not even aware that he's in this room and he's watching looking at everybody all at once he's scanning around right It would be amazing how he would react when he watches how we praise God. I don't know. I'm not going to make judgments on, on individuals. or I don't know. And I'm, it doesn't suggest that just because you're loud, you're actually praising God. We understand that side of it too. I'll get to that in a moment as well. But the thing is, would, would Jesus, would God, if he's, 
And he is. He's watching. But if he's just scanning, is he pleased? Is he, is he satisfied? Is he, is, he, is he happy, if you will? Filled with joy himself because he's realizing that you're giving him the praise that he's worthy among the collective group of saints and believers that are gathered. And maybe you're not a saint, but there's enough of them here that we are praising God and God is here. And he wants us to worship him with our praise. You know, we always say this, but God doesn't require us to all be beautiful singers, right? But he does expect us all to make a joyful noise in praise. Let me ask you a question. Can there be much witness from a heart that feels no need to join with others and praise and song to God? What kind of witness is that? What are you telling? Where are you? What are you doing? We're in God's presence with God's people. I'm not yelling to you. I'm just, I'm just saying, Jesus wants our praise. And He deserves our praise. And it's got to be collective. And when we're with God's people and His disciples, we praise God. Now note that from this praise from the, the multitude of, of disciples is one thing that sets them apart from the crowd. I said it's collective. There's a bunch of people, a collection of people that are praising God, right? But notice that while this praise was unanimous among the disciples, that is, every disciple was shouting and praising God, it was selective praise because only the followers of Jesus were flinging their coats and shouting praise. You know how I know that? Because there were Pharisees among the crowd. In verse 39. And others as well who were not joining in. They were walking around looking at everybody and saying, wait a minute, you're not in the temple. How dare you? This is not even a holy place. And then you're throwing stuff on the ground and, and Jesus on a dirty donkey is walking down and you're calling him a king. How can you possibly be doing that? How dare you? How dare you? And they're trying to find something to criticize about everything that's going on. That's what their whole life was about that. God doesn't expect the Pharisees, the unbelievers... To break out with praise. But he does expect his children to do so. He's not surprised. You think Jesus is surprised that as he sees all the people praising Hosanna, Hosanna, and they're throwing their cloaks on, and they're putting the branches onto the road, that every, and behind the crowds, people are walking, and they're like, what is this? How can this be? How dare you do that? You're too loud. How could you be doing that? And Jesus sees those people too, but he's not shocked. He's not expecting them to praise him. Maybe that's you this morning. We'll visit you later. The third characteristic of the praise on Palm Sunday is that it was joyful. Now, I know there's overlap, but I, it, it deserves emphasis. It was joyful. It was joyful. There was joy in the streets outside of Jerusalem as he's approaching the gates. Luke 9.37 says that they rejoiced and they praised God, saying, Blessed be the King that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It was not sad music. It was joyous praise. Right? One of the key emotions in our biblical models of praise, when you look through scriptures, is joy. Joy needs to fill our praise and our worship of God. Someone might say, well, I don't have much to be joyful about. Man, if you just knew my life, if you knew who I was, if you knew everything going on right now in my life, I don't have much to be joyful about. 
And from, a, and from a human standpoint, as a person living on this planet, I know that even this morning there are people here with us that your hearts are so heavy that, that if you even got close to water, they would sink to the bottom in like instantaneously. I get that. I understand that. I'm aware of that. We, we all are all different places, but there are some of you like that. And, I, and, and, and you wonder, and you're the ones that wonder if others have ever even been through something that you're facing, it's heavy. I understand that. And maybe your life is filled with tension and fear and anger, and there's others, right, with defeat. But as Christians, when we gather with our church family, the basis of our praise is not grounded or founded in the circumstances of the moment, but in the saving grace that we've experienced in Jesus Christ. Man, it doesn't matter what's going on. The one who saves, Hosanna, the one who saved us, is saving us and will save us. We keep calling Hosanna. We keep praising His name. Glory to God in the highest because of His saving grace. Our praise has a foundation that is so much deeper than our circumstances or our feelings. I don't feel like praising. Then start feeling like it. Start feeling like it. Praise God. So we praise God even in the midst of our troubles. It doesn't matter what's going on. We still praise God in our troubles. Think about it. Think about the crowds of these disciples who are worshiping Jesus. You remember remember what's going on with them, okay? A lot of them were Jews, right? What was their situation? Was it good? It wasn't good. It wasn't. You got the Roman oppression, you got taxes, you got all kinds of things, persecution, all kinds of things that were going on historically. You can read into that. It's, there's historical facts there. They were not having a good time living under the Roman rule as Jewish people. And, a lot, and even, even those who weren't Jews, because they were so oppressive. And yet, they found a reason, in spite of everything, even if it was going on around them, all this stuff, they were praising God, and they did it joyfully and full of joy in in their hearts and it came out in their expressions through their mouths right listen there was again as i said in your life there might be and we might have and unfortunately we have in our world in your own world all kinds of various occupations not the roman one but all their kinds maybe it's well i'll leave it alone there are, there are things that are oppressing us and binding us and holding us down in, in this life and in this world. And there always will be someone or something or a system or a government or governments or Satan himself. They're always, But we can still praise God and we ought to praise God because our Redeemer has come and He will come yet to take us. And so we praise Him. They praised God and we praise God for who He is and what we have seen and heard that He has done in our lives. Amen? Finally, we see that praise is necessary. It's, it wasn't just joyful, but it's necessary. Praise is necessary. You have no way out. You know why? Because if I can use the word, God demands praise because of who He is. It's a strong word. But I mean it. He is worthy. He needs it. It must be His because He is the only one who receives all glory, honor, and praise, and worship, and adoration. It's God Himself, the one true God. And so, praise is absolutely necessary. The Pharisees in Luke 19.35, they did something that we're all familiar with, and we'll focus on this this morning. He urged Jesus to stop all this party atmosphere. 
That's what he did. That's what they did, I should say. Look, I want, I want to take the Pharisees for a minute because so many times as, as Christians, we make them sound so bad and we put them down and we make them sound like the worst humans on earth and most of them were, were pretty, well, they were harsh. They were strict. They were missing the point in the end. But some of them were not like that. And listen, in the best possible light, let's look at this. Perhaps some of them were in sympathy with Jesus. Let's just think about this for a minute. Because a group of Pharisees earlier had warned him of Herod Antipas earlier. He, he was warned about him. And so now, maybe they're fearful that all this activity will draw the attention of the Romans and all the other religious authorities who have it out for Jesus. And it, it is in reply to their admonition that he rebukes his disciples that Jesus makes an unusual statement. This is what he says. I tell you that. If these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Jesus, how can you let all these people praise you this way? They're not even in the temple. They're not doing it by the rule. They're not using the right formulas. They're not praying in the right theological way. Maybe some of them because they're just lost in the crowd. And maybe it's sincere, maybe not. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to have any of that. Praise unto me is a necessity. It is necessary. I deserve all the praise and I'll let them give it to me. Because if they don't say anything and if they don't praise me, the stones will cry out. And this statement tells us some things. The first is that there is a closer connection between the natural world around us and redemption than we may think. You might be familiar with Romans 8. And Paul says there that the entire creation groans for redemption. Right? I wonder, I wonder, along with the signs before Jesus comes back because He's coming back, that the groaning is getting so strong that it's, it's starting to come out. It's more than a groan now with all the earthquakes and with all the twisters and all the... And I pray for those people with God's mercy. It's a hor- the horrible things that are going on. But all around this planet, these things are happening. Right? Listen, it's all a result of sin. It's all a result of the redemption that is necessary not only for human beings why Jesus came, but also all of creation. It's climate change, Pastor Bob. There has always been climate change, and yes, it is climate change. And you know what climate change is? It's the result of sin. So, you know what? We do our best and whatever. We trust God, but we don't worship the climate. We worship the one who's in charge of the climate. And in the meantime, in the meantime, we look around and we see all this happening because all of creation is groaning. Yes, because of sin. And there needs to be redemption. There's a lot of horrible things going on. And yet God is saying, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. And and there's a groaning that Paul writes about in Romans chapter 8. You know that Scripture. And we see from the beginning how creation was twisted and thorns infested the ground because of sin. You remember that back in Genesis? Right after the sin, right after Adam and Eve's sin. That's what happened to the entire natural world and order of things. Matthew's Gospel tells us how all creation reacted when Jesus walked among us. Remember when He was born? What did creation do? There was a star. There was a star. 
Oh, I know, God put it there, but that's still creation. God's in charge. He's Lord of all, right? He's, he's master of the universe. And there's a star. Creation is pointing Jesus, resting over Bethlehem, and showing over the city of David that the God-man was being born, that God was coming down and dwelling among His creation, right? And then you jump fast. There's many other things. But you jump fast forward. And when Jesus is crucified, and we're going to celebrate that on Friday at 7 o'clock, but, but prior to that, it would be prior to 7 o'clock on Friday night, right? At noon, there was an earthquake, right? And it got dark, and the ground was casting out the dead at His death, and the earthquake at His resurrection. And there's many other things I could point out to, but creation is all part of the redemption plan and process of God. And He will redeem creation itself. There's a plan. You know Psalm 19. You know some of those psalms. How the heavens are telling of the glory of God. And yet it says that they're all declaring. And then the next verse is it says, they don't say a word, but they're speaking. All creation is praising and declaring the glory of God. Second, this phrase tells us that praise is not elective. It's not just a choice, but it's necessary. Oh no, I know you can choose. I suppose. You can can choose. But it's necessary. I have no doubt. I don't know what... People argue, well, did Jesus really mean that, that if, they don't, if they wouldn't praise God, the stones are these, these, these objects that would actually praise God? I don't know. We'll never know. You know why? Because people did their job and they did what was necessary and they praised God. Hallelujah. So let's be like them. He, he could have happened. It could have happened. He could have done that. He said what he said. I have no doubt that it's possible that these stones would have shouted if the people held their tongues and did not praise God the way, or Jesus the way he was supposed to be praised. And that leads to the question for us who are made in the likeness of God, right? What should our response be again, not just to the grace, but to the mercy of God in our lives? Matthew chapter 21. I want to turn to something here and come back to the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. Jesus, this is after the triumphal entry, and Jesus is cleansing the temple, and he says, he says some things here that are powerful and convicting. And he says, The blind and the lame came, and the Bible says, The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Verse 15 says, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! They became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, Thou hast prepared praise for thyself. And he left them and went on to the city of Bethany and lodged there. He rebuked them. He says, don't you even know that if I deserve the praise, that praise has to, don't shut people up who are praising me. We're so good with that. We get so fired up about that. And we get into all these wars in the church about how we should praise God and shouldn't praise God. Listen, we have the charismatics fighting with those who are the frozen chosen who sit there like bumps on a log, never say a word, but yet they are so reverently praising God. And they might be. I don't know. And you have them ridiculing the charismatics or whatever. And we keep throwing labels around. Sorry for saying it the way it is. Stop the labeling. Stop the criticizing of people who want to praise God with a sincere heart and spirit and truth. And they're not violating Scripture in their worship of God with their words for crying out loud, stop it. 
Don't be a party pooper. Don't be a pooper on praise. I mean that. I do. I mean that. Don't be a praise pooper. Stop it. How long am I going to keep doing things like that in the church? I've been doing it for hundreds, for, for centuries now. And we're affecting people and we're telling mouths of babes and even adults who are babes in their faith to shut up because it's not the right way to worship God. Let them praise God and call out their worship to God. Let them do it with joy. Let them do it outside the temple as much as it is in the temple. Let them worship God with a heart that's overflowing with praise because of the grace and mercy of God and because of the Spirit's activity in their hearts. Listen, those of us who've been rescued from the kingdom of night or darkness and and we're set down in the kingdom of light, we have to heed the psalmist as he calls us to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Noise! It's even noise! It's not even a song. It's just noise. But it's to the Lord. It's where it's directed and how it's directed with a heart that is in reverence and worshiping God. And he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. I'm going to keep going on. Every other psalm, and even the prophets, the prayers, some of their prayers are praising and blessing and telling God's people to praise the Lord. If God's people will not praise him, the stones will. I close by pointing to you the fact that this praise of the multitude as Jesus entered Jerusalem, was also while Jesus was heartbroken. Doesn't mean it's not joy-filled. It was, but He was heartbroken. In verse 41, we read that Jesus, when He saw the city, He began to weep. And, and here's where we, just, we see Jesus just being fully human. As much as He's fully God. I mean, again... I don't know what those Pharisees and all those people who were right and, and dictated what proper worship was, what they thought of that. I mean, this is no time. Okay, first of all, he's not telling them to shut up, but then he's, all of a sudden he's visibly weeping and crying. It's not the right time and place to, to cry in the middle of all and to weep when, when there's all this praise and adoration of, of Jesus happening with, 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 with words from people's hearts who are just hungry for a Savior. And some of them might even know who He is, really. The multitude has made Him. And as I said earlier, in their minds, He's this conquering hero. The one who works miracles and He refused to let them crown Him as King a year ago. Now, now He rides into Jerusalem at the right time in fulfillment of prophecy. And obviously, they're thinking, God is about to break in and destroy the Romans. So why is he crying? Jesus is probably the only person weeping in Jerusalem that day. It feels like a swing, doesn't it? We're loud, we're praising, there's joy, and it's all happening, but yet he's the only one weeping. Why does he weep? To the confusion of the crowds. Jesus weeps as he beholds the multitudes who are blind, spiritually blind to their visitation by God. See, here's God in their midst. And they're going to reject Him. And they're going to crucify Him. And they're going to think that they've done God a favor. And He weeps. 
because he knows they're praising him now. He weeps over lost souls, defeated lives, people who are in chains of sin with no hope. And he weeps because they'll miss him for who he is. Savior, deliverer, soul healer. And he is here, like right now. How will you respond? How will you respond? Will you miss him? Will you miss him? Will you be a party pooper? In other words, will you be the one to shush, shush, others, even tell Jesus in your own little secret private prayers that it's undignified and it's not proper according to the law? And you won't join in. My question for you is this. On whose terms will you praise God among His people? His praise is a necessity. And you're determining what those terms are. Jesus is worthy and He necessitates that praise right now. Or will you, or maybe this is you, will you accept Jesus conditionally? Because there's a group of people here that are praising God and they're in on all the festivities and they're, they're looking good and it feels good in the moment, right? And they accept Him conditionally. You're among the crowd and it's, it's the right time on the calendar. After all, it's April 2nd, it's Palm Sunday and we're at New Hope Chapel and we're with God's people and we're in this building where we're supposed to praise God. It feels good for you. It even feels right. But as the week goes on, you'll be distracted by doubts, discouragement, and, and ultimately disappointment that Jesus isn't who you want Him to be. And you live by this motto, my will be done. My will be done. That's how you live. And you know what you are? I shared this at the rescue mission last week, but I have to share it here. You're, some of you who are loving this and you feel great and you're here, you know what you're like? And we've been there in our lives until we met Jesus, right? That we're like rocks that have been in the bottom of the ocean or the bottom of a big pond for a long, long time. It feels good. We're wet on the outside. And, and it, we, someone pulls us out of that pond. We look wet. It looks like we've been there forever. But then when you crack us open, first of all, really hard, but you crack us open and we're dry as a bone. Dry as a bone. It all looks good on the surface, but there's nothing inside. And instead, you should be a sponge in that water, absorbing it, and then if someone takes you out and they squeeze it, you have something to give and you're still damp. And you go back in and you keep absorbing. But when you're a rock, you're in that, you're among the people, you're not absorbing, you're just loving how it feels on the outside. It's Palm Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. Resurrection Day. Oh, it's Christmas. I gotta go. And you feel great. It's the right thing. But you're dry as a bone. You accept Him conditionally. As long as He makes you feel good in the moment. Yeah, Jesus is cool. It's okay. He's not your Messiah. He's not your Savior. But you're drying up inside and there's no life there and you're suffocating. And finally, and hopefully, 
you are or are becoming the one who demonstrates unconditional acceptance. And there were some of those in the crowd. You love the party. You love all the praise. You give the praise from the bottom, uh, the, bottom the lowest part of your heart and the deepest part of your heart you're praising God and you give honor to Jesus and you give him praise and this is your motto because you unconditionally accept him and you say thy will be done thy will be done and you know what when you say that this is the thing that happens we're going to have communion and if the cups aren't funny you can grab those right we're going to have communion but when you do that You start this week and you're on a track. You are on a path to the cross with Jesus. And you go all the way to the cross. And then you actually go up on the cross with Jesus. You die to yourself. You give your life to Him. And you receive what He did for you. And you follow Him no matter what. Jesus is worthy of all our praise. But he was lamenting that there were people that missed who he was. I pray that you don't miss him today or this week. And maybe you're wondering, maybe you're asking questions, maybe you're thinking about some of the points I've made. But as you go through this week, I encourage you to read the gospel accounts of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem to Good Friday. Find yourself there. Discover who Jesus is, who he wants you to be, and how he wants to change us, even if you are his how you can become more like Him and keep saying, Thy will be done, not my will. See, just a few days later, Jesus would institute the Lord's Supper at the Passover meal, right? We all know the story. And in that meal, and at that meal, after they had eaten, something happened. He was betrayed by one of His own disciples, Judas. And Jesus forecast that, if you will. He predicted, he prophesied that, if you will. He, says, and he, he, he said, one of you is going to betray me. And he called out who that was. But there was a question they asked among each other, the gospel writer records. And they said, Lord, is it I? Is it me? Could it be me? Is it me that's going to betray you? And how will I do that? Lord, let it not be. That's a question we ought to be asking ourselves because Friday's coming. And it was a day that even though Judas had betrayed Jesus into the, to, 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 the, to the leaders who would eventually take him to go on trial and, and crucify him, it was Peter himself also who was faithful that denied him three times before the rooster crowed. We need to examine ourselves. We need to look at a couple of things, and the first one is simply this. What is our praise like? Are we encouraging others to praise? Are we ourselves praising? And secondly, have we accepted Jesus unconditionally, given Him our lives totally, and say every day, Thy will be done, and we follow Him all the way to cross and to the end and beyond with Jesus, and He's with us. Maybe this morning you've never asked Jesus to come into your life. Maybe you've never, never believed. You never believed on Him, but now you, you know, and I believe that you came from me, Jesus. I need a cup, I guess. I forgot to grab one. I, I believe you, Jesus. I know that you died for me. You rose again. You paid the price for me. And I accept that. I confess that in my heart and my mouth. Would you do that this morning? That's between you and God. 
And when you do that, you can take this communion. By the way, Abram's handing out, if you need a gluten-free serving of the communion, please raise your hand. If you're, especially if you're a visitor, we know our folks, but if you're a visitor, please raise your hand. Keep them up so Abram can serve you. Make Jesus and ask Him to be Lord of your life. Submit to Him. It's, 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 it's more than asking. You've got to submit. You've got to do it. And He will. And then the praises will continually be on your lips. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, there's plotting going on to kill Jesus already. And he says, and while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he, after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. He had the bread in his hands. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. If you accept Jesus unconditionally, in other words, you give Him your whole heart and life, you believe on Him as Lord and Savior, and you eat and drink of this, it means a lot. It means everything. He's my life. He's my source of forgiveness. Eternal life. Everlasting life, actually. And I, I can celebrate that today. And this is a form of praise. And before you eat and before you drink, you should say, thank you, Lord. I praise you for coming for me. Hosanna to God in the highest. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you for taking on flesh and living life and experiencing everything that we experience. And thank you that you did it perfectly without sin. Thank you that you voluntarily gave up your life to fulfill the Father's plan of salvation, redemption, and forgiveness of sins. And you died on that cross, shedding your blood, so that we might have everlasting life. Father, we celebrate you today. We say praise you. We say thank you. We thank you that you're our Savior. Hosanna to you. Save us now, Lord God, and thank you that you will still save us. Your redemption is drawing nigh, and even as we eat this, we think of Jesus' words that we will drink of this fruit of the vine with him one day in glory at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we look forward to that day. Thank you for coming for us. You are worthy of all praise. Let's eat the bread together. And if you have the cup, would you open that? Let's drink the cup together. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name, Lord. I'm going to ask the praise team to come. If you need to leave, we've, part, we've partaken in communion and eaten together, but if you need to leave, I ask you to leave quietly. We're going to sing a song. I want to encourage you to stay. If you've got to go places, you've got to go places. That's between you and God. But we're going to continue to offer up some praises to the Lord. Just exalt Him. I'm going to reflect on, on what Jesus did and what this week means. Please, I encourage you strongly. We have Good Friday at 7 o'clock service. Please come. Be here as we remember what Jesus did for us in dying on the cross. And we'll be focusing on the fact that Jesus died to, to bring us to God and what that means. And so we're going to uh, focus on that and think about that this week and walk in Jesus' steps. Remember that He walked that week for you until you got to the cross. Amen?